Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Hey, welcome to Vintage Church. I hope that you have had an incredible Thanksgiving. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. And I know Thanksgiving probably looked a little different, but like I said, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Believe it or not, today is the beginning of the season of Advent. And that's really important for us because we've been looking at the book of Malachi. Malachi was the last prophet to speak. He's actually the last book in the Old Testament. And so you get to this place where there is 400 years of silence from the last moment God spoke in the Old Testament to the moment when Jesus was born, and we read about that in the New Testament. And so that's why we've been looking at the book of Malachi as preparation for this season of Advent. Because Advent is not actually about the birth of Jesus. Christmas is important. We're going to celebrate Christmas. The birth of Jesus is incredibly good news. But Advent is actually about anticipating Jesus coming back, Jesus returning. And so we've been looking at the book of Malachi as preparation for this Advent and Christmas season. So there's a chiasm on the screen that you are going to see. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about that. Chiasms were ways in which in the ancient world, they organized arguments. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this right understanding of God. Uh, last few weeks, we've been looking at right worship. Mark Anthony, our music arts director, talked about that. The last two weeks, we've looked at uh, right relationships, right marriage and right justice. And now we're coming back to this parallel idea with right worship. In Mark Anthony's sermon, he talked a lot about the Levites and the priests, the leaders who were leading the people in worship. And we're going to talk about worship today, but we're going to talk about it from the other perspective, from the perspective of the people of Israel, from our perspective as worshipers of Jesus. And the angle that we're going to take, because Malachi takes it, God takes it, is in regard to giving, right giving. Now, a couple of things. Number one, I know that for some of us, that's crazy that we would be talking about money during Christmas, right? During the Advent Christmas season. But again, we're talking about preparation. And what I want you to think about in regards to money, in regard to our resources, in regards to giving, is that it's really not about money. It's about the heart. And it's really not about the amount of money, but it's about generosity. We're going to talk about that. The second thing is this. We're talking about giving. We're talking about money. We're talking about generosity in light of COVID. And I recognize every single one of us to some degree or another, and for some of us to a greater degree, have been affected financially by COVID. And so I don't want you to hear me talk about money as if I'm guilting you into giving more to Vintage Church. We're going to talk about giving to the church because it's important. But what I want you to think about is generosity. 
Generosity, number one, matters in regards to Christmas because this is a season, this Advent season is a season when we are to be generous. But what I want you to think about is that a trait of Christians is generosity. Christians should be known for how generous they are. So regardless of whether you have a lot of money, a little money, whether or not you've been affected by COVID financially or not, money and generosity is something that we have to think about as Christians because God has given it to us. So we're going to talk about right giving Today. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Have you ever thought about things that you own and how you use things you own versus things you borrow from somebody and how you use them? If you're like me, here's what you do. The things that you own, you don't typically treat as well because you own it. There's no ramifications for if you break it or if you bend it or if you dent it. But if you're borrowing something from a friend or from someone you don't know, you're a lot more delicate with those things. Why? Because you want to give that back to that person in the same way that you found it. Now, that, in a nutshell, and we're going to talk about this today, is the idea of stewardship. So what if I told you, and this is so countercultural to our world, what if I told you we actually don't own anything? And that God owns everything. And if God owns everything, then how should that affect how we use our things? And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you're taking notes, here's kind of the big idea that you can write down. We prepare for the Lord when we generously give back to God what is his. Let me say it one more time. We prepare for the Lord when we generously give back to God what is His. So we're going to be in Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12. These verses will be on the screen for you to follow along. Here's what it says. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed." For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So, first big idea that I want you to think about today. We need to, number one, steward the resources of God. Steward the resources of God. Go back and look at verses 6 through 9. At the very beginning there, God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. 
Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And what God is getting at is, yes, we're talking about God not changing. He's, he's uh, immutable. His character doesn't change. But what he's really getting at is his covenant faithfulness. Throughout the book of Malachi, we've been looking at this idea that God had a covenant or a committed relationship with the people of Israel. And so what God is getting at is the reality that despite the fact the people of Israel have changed, they've walked back from their covenant, God has not. God has remained the same. So because God is faithful and unchanging, the people can repent and return back to Him. And so the people of Israel ask, okay, how are we to return back to you? And God says, stop robbing me. So here's where we get into the topic and the idea of money. How was Israel robbing God? So the big idea here that God gets at is that Israel was half-heartedly giving only a portion of what God expected. Now, the, the idea is the tithe. So a tithe literally means a tenth of something. So what God is getting at is two things. Number one, you're not giving the full tenth. You're saying, hey, how about I trim off a little and maybe only give you 5% or 6% or 7%. So they're giving only a portion of what they're supposed to give. And at the same time, they're giving it half-heartedly. I mean, God's asking for it and they're like, well, begrudgingly, if I have to, I will. But I don't really want to. That's what's going on in this passage. Again, the tithe was literally one-tenth. And because Israel was an agricultural society, it was a tenth of the produce of their land. Things like grain or fruit or animals. The things that God had blessed them with. Now, in Israel, there were actually three tithes. Two tithes that they gave every year, and one tithe that they gave every third year. There was a tithe for the priests and Levites that was to support the religious leaders. There was a tithe for the sacred festivals. And then, this is the one that happened every three years, there was a tithe for orphans, widows, and the poor, basically to help support those who needed help. And so literally, when we think about the tithe, yes, it means 10% or a tenth, but they gave every year around 23% of what God had given them. Now, what did I say was the main idea? Steward the resources of God. And this really gets at what was going on. The reason the people of Israel were holding back from giving God the full tenth, and the reason they were giving begrudgingly or half-heartedly was because they thought they owned everything. Anything that they had that was theirs, they thought they owned. But in the Bible, in God's Word, there's a difference between owning and stewarding. Here's the idea with Israel. Israel failed to understand that Everything, including what they had, belonged to God. Everything, the land, the stars, the animals, the trees, the, but also their stuff, their home, their family, their equipment, their grain, their fruit, 
their vegetables, their animals. Everything belonged to God. Look at 1 Chronicles 29. David, King David, is coming to the end of his life. And he's not going to build the temple. His son, Solomon, is going to build the temple. But he's there for the people to send a collection so the temple can be built. And look at what David says, what he prays back to God. He says in verse 14, But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you. That is, from God. And of your own have we given you. What David is getting at, listen, we're giving back to you, but because all things belong to you, God, we're just giving back to you what's actually already yours. Verse 15, For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there's no abiding. O Lord, our God, again, look, listen to what he says, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Again, not ownership, stewardship. Verse 17, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have not begrudgingly offered, not half-heartedly offered, freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Owning versus stewarding. Now, if you're kind of wanting to figure out what's a great definition of stewardship. This comes from a book called The Grand Essentials, and the author, Ben Patterson, defines a steward like this. A steward is someone entrusted with another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing it in the owner's best interest. Now, a couple of things there. You're entrusted with another's wealth or property, and you're managing it not in your best interest, but in the owner's best interest. I don't know if you've ever leased a car, right? You can buy a car, or you can lease a car. If you buy a car and you drive it off the lot, it belongs to you, right? It belongs to you. You're responsible for the oil changes. If something happens to the car, it's on you. If you lease a car... You drive it off the lot, but you actually, in fact, do not own the car. The dealership still owns the car. So they have a vested interest in how you take care of that car. Why? Because at the end of that lease, whether it's three years or whatever time it is, you're going to bring that car back and either buy it, release it, or give it back to the dealer. And if you're giving it back to the dealer, they want the car in good shape. In the same way, that's stewarding, right? Stewarding is like leasing. You're taking the car, but it doesn't belong to you. You're going to use it, but it still belongs to the dealer. At the end of the day, stewardship comes down to the fact that we don't own anything. In his book, The Treasure Principle, Randy Alcorn says this, simple but true. God owns everything. I'm his money manager. I want you to say that. I know you're not here, you're watching me, but I want you to say that with me. Ready? God owns everything. I'm his money manager. 
That's a thing, a statement, a truth that we have to constantly remind ourselves. Because when I have stuff, right, when I spend money, money that I've earned on stuff, I immediately begin to say what? It's mine. But in fact, the things that God has given me are not mine. They're His, and He's just allowing me to use them, and so I need to steward them well. If you are a steward of God's resources, then you should be intentional with how you use God's resources. Intentional. Meaning nothing is done by accident. You're thinking about what? How you spend that money, how you save that money, how you invest that money, how you give that money. You are a steward of God's resources. So, a couple of questions for you to think about regarding stewardship. How do you view your resources? Are they yours or are they God's? How do you view your resources? Are they yours or are they God's? So we steward God's resources, but if our resources are are God's resources, then number two, we should give back generously to God. Look at the very beginning of verse 10. God says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now again, thinking about the tithe, right? What God is saying is I'm asking for that full tenth. I don't want a portion of the tenth. I want the whole tenth. Bring me the whole tenth. Be faithful to what I'm asking you. The storehouse were areas in the temple complex where they kept and stored sacrifices for future use. So God is saying, bring those back to me, the full tenth. Here's the idea. We give back generously to God because God has been generous to us. Again, if God owns everything, that means every single thing that you have, from the smallest thing to the biggest thing, from the least expensive thing to the most expensive thing, is whom's? God's. But, but here's what I want you to think about. This is where generosity moves beyond our money or God's money. This is where generosity moves to things like our salvation. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, and just a few years ago, I think a year ago actually, in September, we preached through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 through a series we called Prosperous. And one of the things that Paul does is he connects generosity to the coming of Jesus, literally to Christmas. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 9 and he's talking to the Corinthians about generosity he says this for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich now how was Jesus rich he was in heaven he was with God so that though he was rich yet for your sake for our sake he became what poor When Jesus was born, he was born to peasants, Joseph and Mary. There was no room in the inn, right? So where did they put him? In a trough in a barn. He was poor. Yet for 
your sake, for our sake, for my sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, we're not talking about financial prosperity there. What, what Paul is talking about to spur on and encourage generosity is that because Jesus was rich, he came to earth and put on flesh and became poor, died for us on the cross, defeating sin, death, and hell, and resurrecting from the grave. The point of Christmas, right? The point of Christmas is not just that Jesus was born as a baby, but that he came to earth to save us, to make us rich. How? By bringing us back into relationship with God. The most incredible blessing and gift that we could possibly have. And so Paul is connecting our financial generosity to the generosity of God in salvation. And you and I, we can't forget that, that God has been generous to us. If you're struggling to see how God has been generous to you, recognize that you are a broken, sinful human, separated from God. That there's absolutely in your power no way to get back to God. But Jesus came, put on flesh, died for your sins, resurrected from the grave, making a way back to God. And so the Bible says that when you repent of your sins, when you turn away from your sins, trust in Jesus to save you, you will be saved. For those who are saved, they are then baptized to follow Jesus. We give back generously to God because God has first been generous to us. So practical question for us to think about, what should generosity look like today? Because what we've been looking at in Malachi 3 is the principle of tithing. Now, here's the thing. Tithing is a great place to start. When you think about giving and giving back to the church, a tenth of what you have is a great place to start. But I actually don't think tithing is a new testament principle instead i want us to think about giving today in light of generosity again i want you to go back to what paul wrote in second corinthians 9 look at what he says in verses 6 through 8 and compare this to what we're reading in malachi he says this the point is this Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, that's what was happening in Israel, or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, what Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians 9 is this theology of generosity. And, and I want you, I would encourage you this week, go back and read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, because he's comparing the Corinthians to the Macedonian church. The Macedonian church had given to Paul to support the ministry in Jerusalem, but the Macedonians were rock-bottom poor, and yet they had given out of their poverty. So what Paul is saying is he's not saying, hey, set aside 10%. What he is saying, look back at verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So every single one of us 
make different amounts of income. And we have different uh, incomes and different needs that we're taking into consideration when we give back. But we have to decide in our heart. And we have to not give reluctantly or in comp- under compulsion, but cheerfully. We should want to be generous. It should flow from a heart of joy. That's the New Testament idea of generosity. Here, here's what I, I ask people all the time. How much did Jesus give? How generous was Jesus in coming to earth, becoming a human, and dying for our sins? He gave everything. That's what it actually looks like today. That's the model for Christians of what generosity should look like. I read 2 Corinthians 9, I think about my own kids, right? I want my kids, Gabe and Emelyn, Gabe's 9, Emelyn is 6, I want them to joyfully and willingly share. So there are times that they're playing with their toys, and Emelyn's like, I want that toy. Gabe's like, no. And then finally, I get them to share, but it's like Gabe shoves the toy in her face or throws it at her. He doesn't do that joyfully or willingly. He does that because mom or dad told him to. And here's the reality. For many of us, that's how we give. Okay, God, if you want my money, take it. If you want my time, take it. If you want my energy, take it. But I want my kids to joyfully and willingly, okay, sis, here's the toy. I want you to have that toy. In the same way, that's how God wants us to give. Here's some ideas that I want you to think about. If you wait till you have money to be generous... You'll never be generous. I've said that before, and it's still true. Because generosity is not about the amount of money, it's about the heart. In the Gospels, Jesus encounters a widow, and she gives two mites. Two mites was like two pennies. And then there was another guy, a religious leader, who gave a ton of money. And Jesus says, look at those two people. Who gave more? Who was more generous? And Jesus says it was the widow because she gave out of her poverty. See, generosity is not about equal giving. Generosity is about equal sacrifice. It's about equal sacrifice. Every single one of us as a part of Vintage are going to give different amounts back to the church to support the ministry. That's why we're a church That's why the church isn't one person or one family. It's a collective work where we're all giving back. We're all being generous. And God takes all of our sacrifice and generosity and uses that to support the ministry that he's called Vintage Church to. So another practical question to think about giving back generously to God. How do you take steps to be generous because here's the reality it requires intentionality you're not going to accidentally fall into generosity you have to take steps so number one think about this change how you use your money what i mean by that is you can't number one it's not wise in any scenario to live above your means right so don't spend more money than you make But number two, it's not super wise to live at your means. If you're living at your means, you've got no margin. So part of changing how you use your money is living below your means so you have margin to be generous. 
to be generous, planned, right? Part of our giving needs to be planned, but at the same time, to be generous when a need pops up. When God brings a need before you, if you're living below your means, you're able to be generous. So here's just a few examples for you to think about, okay? If you cut out one Starbucks drink a week, that will save you $200 to $250 a year. If you cut out one meal eating out per month, that saves you $450 to $500 a year. If you cut your cable, you're going to save $800 to $1,000 a year. Now, those are just three examples. You have other things in your life that you can cut, but there are places where we can trim back to be more generous. So how do you take steps to be generous, change how you use your money? Number two, we talk about the generos- generosity ladder. We've talked about that for several years now, but I think it's so practical to help us. Because it's like, okay, how do I take that first step? You're going to see the generosity ladder on your screen. If you've never given to Vintage Church before, the first step is to give for the first time. Just take the step and begin to be generous, whether that's $10, $100, whatever that looks like. So you give once. The second step is that occasional giver, where you're going to give a few times a year. You're going to say, hey, I'm going to give, you know, whenever there's something inspirational that they show. Or when there's a need in the church, I might give. Then there's the intentional giver. And this is a huge step, but it's so important for so many of us. The intentional giver says, you know what? Every month, I'm going to dedicate a certain percentage of my income to go back to the church. Now, this is a great place to start. Why? Because if you've never been generous before, chances are you don't have a ton of room in your budget, but you can start somewhere. So maybe you're coming from that occasional to that intentional giver, and you're saying, you know what? I'm going to give 5% of my income every month. That's the next step. Then there's the faithful step on the ladder. The faithful step steps up and says, I'm moving from 5% to that 10%. Every month, I'm going to give 10% of my income back to the church. The last step on the ladder is the extravagant giver. And that's the person that might have the means to say, I'm going to go above and beyond 10%. I'm going to give 11% or 12%. Or maybe it's just a special gift where you've given 10% the entire year, but at the end of the year, you want to step it up and give an additional gift back to the church. Here's the question that I want you to think about. What step will you take to be generous? What step will you take to be generous? That step requires intentionality. You have to think about it. You have to pray about it. You have to plan for it. So we steward God's resources. We give generously back to God. And look at what God promises at the end of verse 10 into 12. He promises this, that we would experience the blessing of God. God. Now, before you jump to conclusions about what I mean by that, let's look at verses into verse 10 into verse 12. This is what God says. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed 
for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now, here's what's going on, right? Some of the imagery here is, is agricultural imagery, which dif- it's different for us. When he talks about opening the windows of heaven, he's talking about, listen, if you will give back to me, God, God says, I will send rain. If you give back to me, I will stop the devourer. Things like pestilence. I'll stop all of that. And what that means is if there's rain and not pestilence, then there's going to be crops. There's going to be food. Now, here's what we're not talking about. And here's not what Malachi is talking about. He's not talking about what we know today as the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel, simple way to understand this, that's an umbrella term for a group of ideas that equate Christian faith with material and particularly financial success. Things like name it and claim it or the health and wealth stuff. That's not what Malachi is talking about. That's not what God is talking about. There is talk of blessing and curse, but I don't want you to think about that in light of the prosperity gospel. I want you to think about that in light of the covenant. Don't forget what we talked about at the very beginning of this passage. God had been faithful. The Israelites had been faithless. And that's important because they had agreed, they had committed to one another. And at the end of that covenant... There were blessings and there were curses. Look at Deuteronomy 28 too. At the end of Deuteronomy, the people of Israel are about ready to go into the promised land and God reminds them of how they will be blessed and how they will be cursed. The blessing comes in verse 2. And all of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you do what? Obey the voice of the Lord your God. Look at verse 15, Deuteronomy 28. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. We're not talking about prosperity gospel. We're talking about faithfulness to God. When we're faithful to God, we receive the blessings that God has promised. And here's the incredible reality about Jesus. In Jesus Christ, we have experienced the blessing of God. Jesus, by hanging on the tree for us, became cursed. He took our sin. He took our disobedience. And because of His death, His resurrection, we have received His righteousness and ultimately His blessing. So here's the reality that I want you to think about. We've been blessed not to keep receiving. Not, God, keep giving it to me. Keep pouring it in. We've been blessed to keep giving. To continue to be generous. You've heard the idea of paying it forward, right? Maybe you've even seen the movie. But the idea of paying it forward is if someone does something generous or good to you or for you, you pay that forward, right? So you maybe have seen this in uh, like drive throughs If someone pays for someone's meal behind them, I mean, that could go on for like a whole chain of events where someone behind somebody else pays for their meal and so on and so forth. And that's the same idea, The reason that we are generous is because we're paying it forward. We're modeling the blessing that we have received from God. 
Paul says it again, pick up in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 through 11. He's getting at this same idea. Verse 10, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now look at what he says in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to live it up, to have everything you ever wanted to live the American dream. No. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God's going to bless us not to be prosperous in the way that we think of prosperity, but to be generous. Paul, in quoting Jesus in Acts 20, says this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So my question for you is how will you use God's blessing for yourself or for God and others? Think about the stuff that God has given you. This, yes, this is about money, but it's more than money. It's about your time. It's about your energy. It's about your gifts. It's about your talents. If you're married, it's about your spouse. If you're a parent, it's about your kids. It's about your job. It's about everything. You're a steward of all that God has given you. How will you use it? How will you use God's blessing? We've been talking in Malachi about the reality of preparation. And I know some of us might be thinking, what in the world does generosity, does money, does giving have to do with preparation? But here's what I want you to see, and I hope that you see this from Malachi. Generosity is really not about money. It's about the heart. We give back because we know that we're stewarding God's resources. We don't own them, we steward them. And we give back because God has blessed us. So generosity is preparation because it's about the heart. We're generous because we know it belongs to God first, and we're generous because we know it's about God first. It's not about us. And so my encouragement for you as we kick off this Advent season starting today is how will you see and use your generosity in this season to prepare for the coming of Jesus? Whether we're anticipating it in this moment as we celebrate Advent or we anticipate it for years to come. Generosity right giving is about preparation how will you prepare let's pray father we love you and as we reflect god on your generosity to us god we just simply stop and say thank you thank you father that you loved us enough to send your son jesus to save us And God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, God, yes, for gratitude and thankfulness to you, but also, God, an overflowing of generosity, Father, 
that you would take the things that you have given to us to steward, God, and that we would be faithful back to you. We would give them back to you, God. We would give back to your church, be generous to your church, so that the ministry you've called us to can continue. And so whatever it looks like in this moment, Father, help us to be generous today. We love you and we thank you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.